0: This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. The NBA and the world lost one of its greatest stars last week. Bill Russell, the former Boston Celtics player and coach, died on Sunday at the age of 88. Russell's career in the NBA included an unmatched run of championships as a player and a coach. But his legacy off the court as a tireless voice for civil rights... Was even more impressive. Honoring the late Bill Russell, coming up on a word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us.
1: This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owners' racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman and Ed O'Neill.
2: FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu.
0: Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. The NBA lost one of its greatest stars last week. Bill Russell, the former Boston Celtics player and coach, died on Sunday at the age of 88. On the court, Bill Russell was a superstar, winning an unmatched 11 championship rings, five Most Valuable Player awards, and 12 appearances in the All-Star Game. In 1966, he made history as the first black coach, not just in the NBA, but in any major sports league. Off the court, Russell became an important voice in the fight for civil rights, refusing to stay silent about the racist abuse black players suffered at the hands of the public, the press and even the fans of the teams that they played for. He fought back with words and actions, speaking out when there was a lot more at stake than the loss of an endorsement deal. That's something President Obama recognized in 2011 when he honored Russell with the Medal of Freedom. Here's a clip.
2: More than any athlete of his era, Bill Russell came to define the word winner. And yet, whenever someone looks up at all six, nine of Bill Russell, I just did, I always feel small next to him. (laughs) And asks, are you a basketball player? Surprisingly, he gets this more than you think, this question. He says, no. He says, that's what I do. That's not what I am. I'm not a basketball player. I am a man who plays basketball. Bill Russell, the man, is someone who stood up for the rights and dignity of all men. He marched with King. He stood by Ali. When a restaurant refused to serve the black Celtics, he refused to play in the scheduled game. He endured insults and vandalism, but he kept on focusing on making the teammates who he loved better players, and made possible the success of so many who would follow. And I hope that one day, in the streets of Boston, children will look up at a statue built not only to Bill Russell the player, but Bill Russell the man.
0: Joining us to talk about the life and legacy of Bill Russell is veteran sports writer and commentator Howard Bryant. He's also the author of Full Dissidents: Notes from an Uneven Playing Field. Howard Bryant, welcome back to A Word. It's good to see you again, Jason. So Howard, I, I want to start with this. There are certain athletes that mean things to certain people. I know there are folks who love Muhammad Ali. I know there are people who, you know, look at Arthur Ashe as, as more than an athlete, as a sports writer
1: and a person, what did Bill Russell mean to you? Well, I think what Bill Russell meant to me more than anything else was I think we protect our time. And that's some that's a theme that I've really concentrated on. Is that if you when when you grow up in a place, the context of that place has some value to you beyond the numbers, beyond the rankings of who was better and who wasn't. And and I think that era of players specifically, when you're looking at the civil rights, Jim Crow level of athlete, that time period from Jackie Robinson going into the 1970s, they are a special group. They are the first real Mm. generation of black professionals of all industries when you think about it. And I've always said that the black athlete is the, the, the most influential and most important Uh, most visible black employees this country's ever produced. And when you think about the civil rights movement, sure, you think about MLK and Abernathy and everybody else from the movement and Rosa Parks, all of them, everybody. But adding to that, adding to that movement is also employment and the next stages beyond the actual movement of, of protest. But who actually gets to have a life here? And those athletes were the first ones who had to combine their profession at such a high visible level with making sure that they were respected as people. And Bill Russell was the guy who really just embodied that in terms of, okay, I'm going to have pieces of this American dream, but at the same time, don't forget me. And don't forget who I am and don't think that because I get these special things that so many other people don't get that I'm not cognizant of what's taking place around me. And I'm going to make sure I don't separate those two.
0: I think for a lot of us, even someone like myself, who is a basketball fan, you may hear a bit about Bill Russell, the activist, and he's got the 11 championships. But Bill Russell, the actual player, as you were talking about, so sort the of professional, is not something that a lot of us have had a chance to see. Tell me a little bit about him as a player. like. You know, what What did he innovate? How did he play on the court? Is there a modern-day version or was there a version of him maybe in the
1: in the 80s or 90s that sort of aped his style of play? Well, th- these are the hard parts, and I think that basketball is one of the most difficult sports because when we look at the types of players that you see in baseball that break records and do amazing things, we don't look at them and go, nah, well, you know, Babe Ruth wasn't that good after all. We don't really do that. (laughs) We don't do that to other sports. We don't look go back and look at Bobby Orr and go, well, he really wasn't that good. Basketball, we do it all the time. And I think it's because of the evolution of the sport. And it's also because of the speed of the sport. And you look at how much, and maybe no other sport maybe is has been as dramatic. But there's something about basketball where we always continue to try and diminish the early roots of the game. And Russell is the innovator. He's the first black superstar in the game. There are other black players who came before Sweetwater Clifton. You know, Chuck Cooper was a, you know, those guys, Don Barksdale came in. But the first black superstar face of franchise champion who changed the way the game was played, who made it an aerial game, who made it a defensive game when you're thinking about the centers, go back and look at the old black and whites and go look at a a center. He was the big plodding guy who was nailed to the floor, the big pudgy guy who was taking (laughs) up space. But now Bill Russell comes and he looks like a he's a sprinter and a hurdler and a high jumper all at once. He creates the modern aerial game. And if you're looking at the comps to today, look at the way Dennis Rodman played defense. Look at the way Rudy Gobert plays defense. Look at the way they're Mm. blocking shots. Look at the way Giannis is blocking shots. That they're covering, the Celtics used to say that they used to play the hey, Bill defense, which was when one of their guys got beat off the dribble, they would just yell, hey, Bill, and (laughs) go leave his man and essentially cover two guys. And we've seen players do that routinely now. Imagine having one guy in the sport do that when nobody else could do it. Then two years later, Chamberlain comes. And then Elgin Baylor comes. And now you're starting to see the evolution of the sport. But that starts with Bill Russell. And to this day, there are very few guys that you can look at. And there's nobody else, in my opinion, that you can look at who led their team to a championship, multiple championships, without needing the ball. Everybody wow. else are scorers. Bill Russell starts the fast break, he anchors the defense, he's running. You know, he's starting the outlet passes. He's he's intimidating the defense. And if he needs to, like he did in, in 1962, game seven, he'll drop 30 points and 40 rebounds. This is the ultimate champion. And the other thing, when we talk about the great glory of the Boston Celtics, it's also important to remember that Bill Russell is the start of the dynasty. The Celtics were a very good team. They were not a great team. They'd never been to the NBA Finals before Russell. Bob Cousy was the face of the league. He'd never even played for a championship before Russell got there. Bob Cousy won six championships, no championships without Russell. Red Auerbach won nine championships as a coach, considered the greatest coach of all time until Phil Jackson comes along, and maybe still is the greatest. He hadn't won a championship and hadn't reached a final until Russell got there. Russell comes in as a rookie, wins the NBA championship, They lose the next year in 58 because he twists his ankle. He's injured, Mm -hmm. completely diminished when he comes back for game six and they lose. And then they come back and win eight straight championships. (laughs) I mean, this is the difference maker. And so you want to talk about LeBron going, going, reaching eight straight finals? Fine. Russell won eight straight titles. I have to ask this because
0: it always strikes me when you talk about players from that era and their great accomplishments, I think of Jackie Robinson, I think of Muhammad Ali, I think of the absolutely over-the-top, ridiculous levels of racism that they dealt with, right? Like, you know, a player today, you, you get some angry tweets, and maybe, you know, somebody like vandalized LeBron's house once a couple years ago, but Russell was playing at a time where it was just standard public discourse amongst white people that black folks were inferior from coaches to management to everything else like that, and they were vocal about it. How did that affect his relationships with his teammates? How did that affect his relationships with the fans? Because they they now all praise him, but you know a lot of the fathers, brothers, and uncles of the people praising him today were calling him the N-word back
1: then. Well, they couldn't stand him. Mm. They couldn't stand Bill Russell, especially in Boston. And you always have to remember, Jason, as we've talked about in the past, that the... The default was to be grateful. Remember what, I can't remember the name of the coach, the, the coach of Wyoming with the Black 14 looked at some of the players, like Tony McGee, one of the great lineman for the Patriots back in the 70s. Looked at those guys when they wanted to protest and they wanted to fight for better conditions, saying, hey, you know, if you don't like it, you can always go back to colored relief. And so <laughs> do not forget that the attitude here was that we're giving you something. And Bill Russell was like, no, you're not giving me anything. You are entitled to a performance from me, but you are not entitled to anything else. And I'm not going to separate MLK and Birmingham and Selma from you cheering for me. So I'm going to treat you on my terms. I'm not going to play this trope that I'm expected to play. And people could not stand him for that. because." they would say well, why aren't you happier and why aren't you getting over it and why aren't you accepting the way things are because you're benefiting from the way things are i mean you're not living in the ghetto you're making 100,000 dollars a year what are you complaining about while at the same time calling him the n-word and so and and you know somebody vandalized lebron's gate In 1962, vandals broke into Bill Russell's house and smeared feces all over his wall and defecated in his bed. And then he was expected to go smile for white people and go perform for them without conflict. And so we talk about these things and we don't talk about them while we're making our lists about who was great. Now you're expected to go perform with that in mind. Knowing that there's a rule in the NBA that you're not even supposed to put five black players on the court at once. And then they finally do it and everybody wants to give the Celtics a medal because all they did was put the five best players they had on the court at one time to help win a game. And that's supposedly some great monument in the civil rights movement. This is what these players were expected to perform within. This, these are the parameters. And so for all of the stuff that Bill Russell did, you always have to remember that he did it within the framework of massive, massive change, massive, massive hostility and anger while he is winning for them. And so what he did, which I always find so remarkable, and I still think it's his greatest victory, is that he was able to make that separation between cheering for the player and understanding what black people were going through, he made that impossible. And that's why they couldn't stand him. Because then when they wanted to apologize, later on with the statue and the rest of it, he was like, no, I'm good. (laughs) And so the question that I've always asked myself that I think is a really, really important question is what do you do when someone does not accept your apology? And that's what Bill Russell did. He was fine. I'm good. You guys figure it out. I'll show up when I show up. I won't when I won't or when I don't. And this whole moment of reconciliation is between you and you. It doesn't have anything to do with me. And boy, did people, people couldn't stand that. We're trying to say we're sorry, Bill. We're trying to build a statue for you, Bill. And Bill's like, yeah, I'm good. I mean, to build Bob Cousy. Bob Cousy, to this day, had been trying to reconcile With Russell, for how he treated him and the fact that Russell, that he he didn't abdicate the throne very quickly, even though he had to recognize that Bill was the better player, and he didn't support him as much as he wanted to. And then over the years, he tried to reach Russell, and Russell didn't really want to engage. And he wrote Bill Russell a letter, and Russell never responded. I don't. Who knows now? Russell took it to his grave whether he read the letter or not, but he never responded. And then Bob Cousy voted for Donald Trump. So what does that really say about the apology?
0: We're going to take a short break. We come back more about the great Bill Russell with Howard Bryant. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about the late Bill Russell with sports journalist and author Howard Bryant. I, I love this idea of what you do when when your apology doesn't work because it, it occurs to me that you're only going to have that attitude as a person, let alone as a player, if you if you have sort of a certain life philosophy in general, right? And, and so, you know, Bill Russell sat down for this interview uh, for the Civil Rights History Project in 2013. It was this long-ranging conversation, a discussion with historian Taylor Branch, and in the beginning— when Russell's explaining his life and his philosophy, he says the following.
2: I've never uh, worked to be liked because that would be hypocritical to me. If I wanted to do things to make somebody like me, what is it worth?
0: The key thing here is he's like, look, I never worked to be liked. He didn't, he didn't have to give a crap about apologies or making himself look good. I, I, I wonder, where do you think that came from? Because... He brought that attitude to basketball. So what was it in his background, what was it in his upbringing that gave him that bad Negro attitude that, you know, that that some of us may embrace today, but it's easier today?
1: Where do you think that came from in his life? Well, it comes from the family, it comes from his upbringing, it comes from, it comes from Monroe, Louisiana. He grows up in Monroe and the gap between black and white is so enormous. The lack of dignity, the lack of concern, the lack of regard, the stories of his father and being humiliated, even by people, by white people he, that considered, that they were considered friendly with at the end of the, li- at the end of the day, there was a line there. And whenever that line re- was revealed, then the anger comes that you do believe you're better than I am and that the price of me challenging this could be my life. No, I'm not going to go with this. You have to remember that everything about Bill Russell's life, all of the great intersections in his life, all the important intersections in his life are directly connected to racism. Mm. His family lives in Monroe, Louisiana. They leave because of the conditions in Louisiana, the racial conditions in Louisiana. He lives in, in Oakland, in West Oakland, in terrible, terrible ghetto conditions, only because black people are forced to live in West Oakland. They're not allowed to live in any other part of the city. He plays for the Boston Celtics, but only because the team that drafted him, St. Louis, does not want a black player to be their face and that they know that the city will not accept a black superstar. So the great Bill Russell, who wins Olympic gold for his country in the Melbourne Olympics in 1956, is traded to the Celtics for two white players because St. Louis didn't want a black player to lead them. They trade him for Ed McCauley and Cliff Hagan, the great Bill Russell. (laughs) Think about this. And then he goes to Boston, and now he's expected to absolve Boston for all of its histories and all of its difficulties. And that is the thing when you talk about accepting or not accepting the apology. When someone apologizes to you, the expectation should be, I am telling you, regardless of your reaction that I am sorry for the harm that I caused. But that's really not what apologies are all about. The apologies are supposed to be, you're supposed to then hug me. You're supposed to close the circle. And that's the piece of the game that Bill Russell was not always willing to play. When it came to
0: his activism, I think there's there are people who say, oh, okay, he was an off-the-court activist. They say, Muhammad Ali, Jackie to talk about off-the-court activism. What I'm more interested in is what was the catalyst? Now, simply being black and waking up every day at the time <laughs> in Boston, you were basically an activist, right? Being black and alive, being black and and happy uh, during uh, the American apartheid state made you a bit of an activist. But what was the catalyst? What was the thing that, that began to change how people perceived of Bill Russell as an activist, was it was there a moment, was there a speech, a protest, uh, a, a movement that he gave money to that made it official that he was an activist other than simply being an independent black man?
1: No, I, I, th- I think that the, the start, or some of the more incendiary moments of the civil rights movement, the school integration in Little Rock, where you have you know, the governor of Arkansas, Orville Thomas, essentially blocking the school doors, you know, keeping you know, black kids from going to school. Uh, the simple fact of going to school is, requires National Guard protection. I think, I think when you're looking at some of the other moments of the 1960s, clearly even the Greensboro sit in in 1960. Bill Russell's paying attention to all of these things. And he's paying attention to all of these things with the backdrop of his own life of the fact that the dignity that he felt he was, that he had earned, had never been afforded him. And I think that the, I think being an athlete is a really big deal here, because you see the juxtaposition. You, we always talk about sports needing to be, or for American sports needing to be the antidote to racism. Like we all want to believe in the fairness and the meritocracy of, if I score six and you score five, unless we're playing golf, I win. It's not race, it's not gender, it's not height, it's not weight, it's none of it. It's meritocracy. I beat you, therefore I get my dignity. And seeing that contradiction in real life, that I am the best player on the court. I am at the University of San Francisco. I've got a 56-game winning streak, and I win two championships. And then I go win the Olympics. And over the course of my career, in winner-take-all games, I'm 21-0, and I never lose, and yet I am begging you, I am marching for to be treated equally to you? I mean, we can talk about all of the different moments that shaped Bill Russell, but that is the central piece of this, which is, who are you? And I'm in a position where I don't have to play along. And I think that I I disagree with you, Jason, when we talk about the idea that just, I mean, I agree with you that being black is being an activist just by waking up in the morning. You're trying to navigate hostile territory. But boy, so many black athletes were very comfortable with, okay, I've got good fortune. I know better than to mess with that good fortune and I'm going to navigate this territory a very different way. I'm not going to do what Bill Russell did. I'm going to play along. Even if I go home and I'm miserable, I'm going to code switch this. And, and, and Russell was the exact opposite. And, and I think that maybe there was a comfort level, obviously, with him understanding his own worth and how important he was. But I also think that there are just some special people in this world. I ask this very question of myself all the time with Jackie Robinson. Where did that come from in 1930 to be able to say, I'm going to act, you know, I am going to be that, I'm, I'm that person. Where did it come from? Sometimes people just have it in them in a way that they're the special ones too.
0: There's this, you know, you think of the song, you know, the lyric, you know, I'm not black, I'm OJ and how a lot of these, these players both then and now. We're like, eh, like you said, I have my money, I got my power, I got this, that, the other. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to risk any of this. Um, and, you know, when you do take those risks, well, again, today, the consequence might be an endorsement or being attacked by a racist president or elected official or a network. Um, you know, back then, I mean, Russell had an FBI file. And so, like, tell us a little bit about that. Like, eventually you know, he got access to the file that the FBI had put out about him. What was in that FBI file? Why did the FBI have a file on Bill Russell? I'm sure it wasn't just keeping his stats. Tell us a little bit about that part of his background.
1: No, Bill Russell had an FBI file because Bill Russell was in the protest. Anybody who went, anybody who marched, I mean, this is what they do to black people. You were obviously a communist. You were obviously just asking for your own rights or fighting for your own rights. So, everybody Jackie Robinson has an FBI file James Baldwin has an FBI file just by giving a quote that makes you sound subversive get you an FBI file you might have an FBI file oh, <laughs> you mean, I I do <laughs> I mean <Yeah. laughs> seriously and this is and, and, and this is 2022 where people say whatever they want it's generally you know harmless in a lot of ways people back then the implication was, was that you were the subversive threat to the government and to the nation. And so not surprising at all that Bill Russell had an FBI file. And even the allies, even the ones who were considered the good ones, the Floyd Pattersons of the world, I bet they have one too, simply by being black during that period, wanting to know what they were going to do. Could they be trusted to, rep- you know, to represent the American view of itself, right, that things are better than they were before, and I think that when you're looking at somebody like Russell, then this is this also adds to the hypocrisy and the hypocrisy of "You are cheering me and you're surveilling me." And so all of these things create the man, right. And I think what I always find really fascinating and admirable and really enjoyable about Russell, just as a figure, is then you look at the next 50 years of his life after he retires. And so much of it was trying, was the public trying to reach him. Mm -hmm. It's almost like an example of guilt. We're trying to say we're sorry. And. Russell cracked me up the most because people would call him bitter and they would wonder why he was so angry and they would constantly call him uppity and all of these things while at the same time always talking about his great infectious laugh. (laughs) Well, how can you be that bitter and you're laughing all the time? Right. Because you're free. That's how. Because he knows who he is but he also knows who you are." And it goes back to the great Russell quote where he said, it's, "I've always thought it was more important to understand than to be understood." We're going to take a short break. We come back more on the legacy of
0: basketball legend Bill Russell. This is a word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. You're listening to a word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about the legacy of basketball star Bill Russell with veteran sports commentator and author Howard Bryant. One of the key moments, Howard, of of Russell's life is on the day that Martin Luther King Jr. was murdered, you know, Russell and his teammates took some time to decide whether or not they were going to play, right? At the time, they decided they were going to play. In 2020, you had some NBA players who were saying, hey, we don't want to play because of George Floyd. You actually had the Milwaukee Bucks not play. Uh, because of the Blake shooting, you've had WNBA players not play. Um, what do we know about Russell's thoughts on the activism in the NBA
1: before he passed? What did he think of what he saw in the league these last two years? Well, I think you could tell that Russell was very proud of it. You saw the photos in the, that he posted on social of him taking the knee with his gold medal. I think that a lot of players of that generation, especially guys like Russell, I'm, and I know this because I talked to John Carlos, Doctor John Carlos about this often. Talked to him about it a, a few weeks ago. They never thought they would see this again. Mm. So to see the Miami Heat taking a photo with their hoodies after Trayvon Martin is killed, to see the players take a stand on Ferguson and Eric Garner and Sandra Bland and to see Carmelo Anthony out there leading a march after Freddie Gray is killed in Baltimore, these guys didn't think they were going to see that they thought that this generation of player was too rich to care. They don't go to public schools anymore. They're not part of the community anymore. They're they're not they're not beholden the way they don't have to work in the offseason. They're not beholden in the way to the the way that the previous players were because they didn't make that kind of money. So those players had to be citizens. They were much more affected by what was happening. But these guys what do I always say that they're You know, hiding behind the uh, tinted glass of their escalades. But to see this now, Bill Russell was really, really proud of that. And the reason how you know he was proud of it was because he said so. These players
0: today, and, you know, people may have their opinions of Kyrie Irving, but he's spoken a lot about things. Chris Paul has spoken about things. Obviously, LeBron James, who's sort of dominated the league for 13 or 14 years. What would you say is, is the person or persons today? who sort of embodies some of the spirit of Bill Russell. They obviously cannot match what he went through, but are there, are are there a collection of players or a player today who you think sort of, okay, you know what? Bill Russell would be specifically proud of this person uh, for having that, you know, you can't break me attitude in addition to the organizing and the sort of activism.
1: That's a good question. I think, I I don't think there's any comparisons. I don't think there's anybody because then the needs are different. The story is different. the, All of the stakes are different. None of the stakes are nearly as high as they used to be. Right. I think that as a player, he loved Kevin Garnett, and as a lineage, as part of the Celtic lineage as well, and a a defensive dominating player. I think that is absolutely Bill Russell, and those two were so close at the end anyway. So you can absolutely say that. I think that Bill Russell as a collective um, would be very proud of the the players, the Carmelo Anthonys of the world, who were willing to actually say and do something. I think the thing with Russell that I always found so admirable was his willingness to be present. He didn't just write a check. Right. There are there's photographic evidence of him out in the street with the people. And that's really valuable. That's more valuable than money. That's you know cutting a check and then hanging out, you know, on the 70th floor of your to- you know of your of your tower. Right. That's not what Bill Russell was all about. And so I think that he was always really proud of seeing action, of seeing physically putting yourself in within community. And that's really who he was.
0: I always like to close with something optimistic, hopeful, potentially life-changing. For people who never knew Bill Russell, for people who are listening to the podcast right now, don't really know much about sports, but have seen this man's face sort of plastered over the TV and screens over the last couple of days. What's probably the most, what, what is one of the most important lessons they can take from his career in life? What's, what's a, an encapsulation of, of the sort of Bill Russell 88 years on this planet that someone to say, you know, I'm going to put this in my pocket, I'm going to let this sort of bury onto my brain, uh, moving on.
1: The combination of being yourself, of really holding on to your values and your morality, knowing who you are, While at the same time caring about people. That's a really difficult balance. Most times when you see people who are, who are, who are that self absorbed, usually that self absorption is a negative. It sounds like a negative, but Russell could do both. Russell was able to clearly convey that he cared about this world and that he cared about people while at the same time recognizing that he also had to do it in a certain way that was going to make sure he maintained his values as a person and guarantee that you understood and respected him as a person. Very difficult balance, and at the end of the day, very few people have been able to do it, but he did. Howard
0: Bryant is a veteran sports writer and commentator. He's one of my favorites. He's the author of several books, including The Heritage, Black athletes a divided America and the politics of patriotism. Thank you so much for joining me today man. No my pleasure thank you. And that's a word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Eric Aaron. Alicia Montgomery is the vice president of audio. Our theme music was produced by Don will. I'm Jason Johnson tune in next week for a word.